Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today's class, we're going to be exploring a topic that is so important to your practice and to your life. And this is a area of life that is very rewarding and at the same time, very, very challenging to overcome and understand because it deals with the topic of true love, love without attachment. This is chapter 14 in our book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. It's true love that is largely misunderstood when we're in the unenlightened mental state. When we're not on this path, when we haven't learned what true love is, we oftentimes get this wrong. And because of that, we have many, 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 many challenges in our relationships with Boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, wives, life partners, children, parents, siblings, we really get this wrong. And because of that, it puts a real strain and struggle on our relationships to the point where oftentimes people think that love is actually very painful. But we're going to help you understand this in a very deep way throughout our talk today. And I would like to invite all of you to ask questions as we go through our talk, whether you're in Facebook, YouTube, the Zoom virtual classroom, you can type your comments into the comment section and our moderator, Max, will get those asked and answered in the class today. And if you're in Zoom, you can raise your hand electronically and ask your question directly if you like. So thank you for joining. Thank you for being here. I think you'll find that this topic is very, very helpful to your practice within these traditions and within these teachings. So I would like to start off today's class by just sharing with you that I love you. I truly love you. And throughout the rest of this talk, I'm going to help you understand what that means and how I love you without you having ever done anything at all. Before I ever met you, I love you. All the beings in this world, I have enormous amounts of love for everyone and anyone. Human beings, animals, enormous amounts of love. And what that is and how we practice it is what makes the real difference here as you start to learn what is true love. So I'm going to share some slides here just to help us kind of talk a bit as we get going in our discussion. And as we get going in our discussion here, I would just like to remind you about two of the noble truths. 
remember there's four noble truths, but I'm just gonna kind of recap the second and third noble truth as a way to kind of lead us into understanding what is true love. The second noble truth, remember, this is explaining how the discontent mind is caused by attachments because the mind has craving for everything to be permanent when everything in the world is essentially impermanent. The mind craves and holds on. It has this mental longing and a strong eagerness. It wants things to remain permanent. It has this outward seeking for satisfaction. This is what we call craving, desire, or attachment. And it's this craving, desire, attachment that causes the discontent mind. As long as there's this mental longing with a strong eagerness in the mind, the mind is going to cause itself to be discontent. Not only do we call this craving, desire, attachment, but also our wants when the mind just wants something so badly, or it has certain expectations. These expectations and these wants are craving, desire, attachment. It's a strong eagerness. It's this longing for something and wanting something. And if the mind gets it, then the mind becomes happy, excited, elated. It experiences these pleasant feelings. If the mind doesn't get it, then it oftentimes will experience painful feelings of anger or sadness or frustration or something like this. It can also experience feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, like loneliness or boredom or things like this. So essentially what the second noble truth is saying is that the mind causes itself to be discontent because it has this poison or this unwholesome root or this fire of craving, desire, attachment, wants and expectations, wanting things to be a certain way. And when they're not that way, the mind then becomes discontent. Or if it gets the object of its affections, it becomes discontent because it experiences these happy feelings, these excited and elated feelings. Essentially, the mind's emotions and feelings are bouncing around based on various conditions. If it gets what it wants, it's happy, it's excited, it's elated. If it doesn't get what it wants, it's angry, it's frustrated, it's irritated, it's annoyed. This is how the unenlightened mind functions. An enlightened mind that's been well-trained won't function that way. Because the third noble truth is that we can eliminate this discontentedness by eliminating the craving, desire, attachments, these wants and these expectations. By eliminating this mental longing with a strong eagerness that exists in the mind, this outward seeking for satisfaction, looking for these conditions that create pleasant feelings, which then ultimately leads to painful feelings and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. By eliminating the mind's outward seeking for satisfaction, looking for these conditions, these objects of its affections, by training the mind this way, then you eliminate the discontentedness because the mind can be in the middle where it's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently because the mind has been trained to no longer seek outward satisfaction, that it's inwardly satisfied. It's inwardly fulfilled. It has inner fulfillment and an inner peacefulness that is unattached to anything external.
because the mind latches on to these external things, but then it craves for it to be permanent and it wants it to be permanent. But then when everything starts shifting and changing because of impermanence, that's when the mind causes itself discontentedness. So this is why in a relationship, if you have a relationship for a certain period of time and then it ends, this is the reason why the mind becomes discontent because it's looking for this relationship to be permanent. And when it's not, the mind causes itself to be discontent. But we're going to talk about more about this as we get going. So I just wanted to remind you guys of these two noble truths, the second and third one, because this is the real core of what we're going to be talking about today. To understand true love, we need to understand how the mind misunderstands attachment as love. What happens in the unenlightened state is what we think of as love is actually craving desire attachment. It's these wants and these expectations. Because what will typically happen is we will meet somebody that we're interested in. Either we have a physical attraction, we're intellectually attracted to them, or for one reason or another, there's some type of attraction that makes us interested to pursue a relationship with this person. And then we strike up a conversation. We choose to go out and get to know each other. We may go to the movies or have some type of occasion to have some food together or some drinks like smoothies or coffee or something like this. We may spend a little bit of time together here and there. And this relationship in these early stages could not be more perfect. And I'm sure that you guys have all experienced this where the relationship just could not have been more perfect. It's so fun. It's so light. There's no burden. It's just getting to know somebody and experiencing time together. And the reason why that period of the relationship is so enjoyable is because there typically isn't craving desire and attachment that has formed yet. There isn't these wants and these expectations. There's not this burden of carrying around something that you want from the other person or the other person wants from you. The only goal in that early stage of the relationship is just to get to know each other. And you just spend time talking and getting to know each other. And it just feels so wonderful. And this is experiencing a relationship where there isn't craving, desire, and attachment. But then what happens is in these relationships, we start feeling all these pleasant feelings. When we're around this other person, we feel happy. Before we get to go see them, we feel excited and elated. We feel this enormous amount of pleasure in the idea that somebody else is interested in us and finds us fun to be around. And we get all these pleasant feelings associated with this relationship. And this is the mind starting to latch on, starting to have this craving, desire, attachment, where the mind has this mental longing and a strong eagerness. And there's this happiness, this excitement, this elation, this pleasantness of the feelings in the mind. And this is discontentedness. But we don't understand that in the unenlightened state. We just think everything is just so happy, so excited, so elated. We may even start telling our friends 
that we are now in love with this person. We get to this pivotal moment where there's been so much pleasure and we enjoy this relationship so much that we start telling people and maybe even the person themselves, I am now in love with you. I love you. And at that point, things just feel like they couldn't be any better. But then as the mind latches on to these pleasant feelings more and more and more, then when you're away from this person, you feel sad, you feel lonely, you feel bored, you may even feel depressed. You start missing this person. You have feelings that you miss them, right? This is the mind now moving into the painful feelings because the mind latched on with the pleasant feelings and developed this mental longing with a strong eagerness, this craving, desire, attachment with these pleasant feelings. When that's not around, when that person isn't around or you don't have contact with that person, then the mind moves to the other side, which is the painful feelings. Now you miss them. Now you feel bored. You feel lonely. And now the mind starts having these expectations and certain things that the mind wants. It starts wanting a certain amount of time with this person. It starts wanting certain gifts or certain experiences. You enjoy those pleasant words and those pleasant feelings of two people coming together and getting to know each other. And now that kind of starts to rub off. It doesn't feel as comfortable anymore because the mind has now got accustomed to these pleasant conversations and it needs more of them and more of them and more of them. And we start putting these wants and expectations on the relationship, oftentimes sabotaging the relationship and crushing it because we want to spend so much time with this person. And this is where oftentimes arguments ensue. There can be disagreements. There can be hostility. This beautiful relationship that started with just two people getting to know each other and finding each other very fun to be around oftentimes can dip into a very angry and hostile relationship where the two people are highly uncomfortable. And if the relationship moved to the point of marriage or children, the two people might actually decide to kind of just stick it out and try to grin and bear it, not realizing that they're actually causing their own problems. It's their expectations that are actually causing the sabotage to this relationship and causing the problems, the wanting, the expectations, the latching on and expecting this other person to be your source of happiness. And in some cases, the relationship eventually will end and the two people will split and they will say, I'm no longer in love with you. I've fallen out of love with you. Well, what's essentially happened at that point is you haven't actually fallen out of love with the person because that wasn't love to begin with. What that was is that was craving, desire, attachment, where the mind was latching on to these pleasant feelings, experiencing these painful feelings as well, experiencing this discontentness because of the craving, desire, attachment. And when you say you're out of love with this person, you've fallen out of love, it means you're no longer willing to allow this craving, desire, attachment to send you on this roller coaster ride of the pleasant feelings and painful feelings. In fact, all the pleasant feelings 
start to erode out of the relationship and all you experience is painful feelings. And that's why you say, I'm no longer in love with you because you're experiencing nothing but painful feelings. Sadness, anger, frustration, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, all of these discontent feelings. So the mind has actually caused this problem in the relationship itself because the mind allowed itself to latch on and experience those pleasant feelings. Therefore, it kind of sabotaged itself and set itself up for failure by then experiencing the painful feelings. And this is why the person might say, and we have all said at different times in our life, I'm in love with you. And that was because we felt certain pleasant feelings. We felt this pull. We felt this longing. We felt this strong eagerness for this person. We wanted them in our life. So we told them that I've now fallen in love with you. But then as the relationship struggles and struggles and struggles through this self-sabotage where both parties are struggling and pulling in opposite directions, because of these very different wants and expectations, eventually the relationship becomes so discontent that either one or both parties say, I'm no longer in love with you and this relationship needs to end and it's over. That isn't love because what's happening there is the various parties are saying, I love you, therefore I want you to be with me because you make me happy. And you being close to me, you being in a relationship with me makes me happy. And I would like that to continue. And as long as you meet these expectations and these things that I want, I love you. But as soon as you stop doing these things that I expect and that I want from you, I don't love you anymore. I've fallen out of love with you. And that's not love. That's craving, desire, attachment. That's wanting this person to be close with you and seeking pleasure in their company. And then when they no longer meet the expectations that you set for them, you say, I no longer love you, which is actually selfishness. It's actually the mind looking for certain pleasures and certain things that the mind desires in this relationship and when those pleasant feelings are gone now the mind says i don't love you anymore but this isn't love this is actually attachment so the unenlightened mind is misunderstanding attachment as love we will even say oh i love ice cream so much or i love chocolate so much or i love going to the movies so much You're not loving the chocolate or loving the movies. What you're doing is you get such pleasant feelings from the chocolate that you're replacing this craving, desire, attachment, this mental longing with a strong eagerness. You're using the word love to represent that. Or you're saying, I love going to the movies. Well, you enjoy going to the movies. You have pleasant feelings going to the movies. But we often misuse this word love and we describe that and use that word in replace of what is really happening, which is the mind is latching on to these pleasant feelings and expecting to get that 
from this other person. And as long as these other people meet our wants and our expectations, the relationship is fine. We love mom and dad or brother and sister or our children or our life partner. We say that we love them because they're meeting your expectations and your wants. But as soon as they don't do that, that's when the mind becomes angered or hostile or frustrated. He's making me so frustrated or I hate her. She never does things my way. She never does what I want, right? Well, that's not true love, but we describe it as love because we don't understand what is true love. Now what I'd like to do is explain what is true love. True love is essentially where the mind is not interested in this selfish pursuit of pleasant feelings. What true love is, true love is to have care for another person, not needing or wanting anything specific from the relationship other than to see this person be well and peaceful. See, it's when we have this selfish pursuit or these selfish desires that we then place these expectations on others, expecting these other people to do things our way. And then as long as they do it our way, the mind is feeling good about that. But when the person doesn't do what we want, then the mind becomes discontent. Well, the way to practice true love is to have love and care for somebody, not needing or wanting anything from them specifically, other than to see that person be well and be peaceful. Because what craving desire attachment does, when we call it love, that says, I love you, therefore I want you to be with me because I'm happy when you're with me. But that's not love, even though we describe it as love. What true love is, is I love you, therefore I would like to see you be peaceful and be well. That's what true love is. It's a relationship that you don't put expectations and your wants on the other person, but you allow the other person to make their own decisions in their life. Because oftentimes what we do in the unenlightened state is we start putting expectations on the people around us of the things that we want them to do for us. And again, as long as they do those things, the mind is happy. The mind experiences pleasant feelings. But as soon as people stop doing things our way, that's when the discontentedness comes in. But that's not love. So mom and dad, we grow up and some people can have a wonderful relationship with their parents. Other people have a very strained, a very difficult relationship because the child starts having expectations and certain wants of what the parents should and shouldn't be doing. And if you have these expectations for your parents, then you're going to create strain and struggle in the relationship where now, as long as mom and dad are doing what you expect, you feel good about that. But if they stop doing what you expect, then you don't like it and you become discontent. So as long as you have these expectations and these wants, they're going to keep changing because of the impermanence. You're going to keep adding more and more to your list. That other person can't foresee all the wants and expectations that you have in your mind. 
They can't. It's impossible to fulfill all the expectations and wants that you have in your mind for somebody else. And because they can't fulfill them, they'll never be able to permanently fulfill all your expectations and wants. Therefore, at some point, your mind is going to become discontent. So what we often do in the unenlightened state is we go around trying to get everybody to do things our way. And this is a real struggle. This is really difficult to go around and try to convince everybody and get everyone to do it our way. And then because people can't do it our way all the time, we cause ourselves discontentedness. Whereas if you release that attachment, if you eliminate this once in these desires and these expectations and you just let everybody be the person that they choose to be progressing in life and walking in life however they choose, then you don't want anything from them. You don't have any desire. You don't have any expectations of them. You just are interested in seeing them be well and be peaceful, allowing them to make their own personal choices in life. They feel better because you're not trying to force them and coerce them or manipulate them into doing your thing. So they feel better because they have freedom of choice and they can make any choices that they like. And you're going to feel better because you're not trying to force your way on other people. So what true love is all about is just loving the person unconditionally. What this love is in the unenlightened state that we oftentimes confuse craving, desire, attachment, wants, and expectations as love, this is actually conditional love. We say, I love you as long as you meet these conditions. And as long as you meet these conditions, I'll love you. And then when you stop meeting these conditions, I don't love you anymore. And we walk away. And then our hatred, our anger, our ill will pushes this person out of our life. This is not love. We call it love in the unenlightened state. We think it's love. But when you look at it closely, you can see that it's actually not love at all. It's actually selfishness. It's actually setting up a bunch of conditions and as long as people meet your conditions, you will allow them into your life and you will say that you love them. What you need to move to in your practice is unconditional love, where you love people and you love animals, all beings, just because you would like to see them be well and you would like to see them be peaceful. And this is why I can sit here and I can say to you, and I can say to everyone in the world, that I love everyone in the world. I love every being in the world. Because my only interest is that I'm interested in seeing all beings be well and be peaceful. I don't have any obligations. I don't have any expectations of anybody. I'm not expecting somebody to earn my love. This is why I can love somebody before even meeting them. You don't have to do anything to earn my love. There's nothing that you have done to earn my love. I love you before I ever met you. And because there's nothing that you have to do in order to earn my love, there's also nothing you can do 
to eliminate my love. It doesn't matter what you do. I will always love you. And I will always love every single being in the world, whether it's beings in the past that have come before us, whether it's beings that are here currently in the world with us now, or beings after us that come after us. Because these beings don't have to do anything to earn my love, and it's offered freely and openly, I'm sharing with generosity that love because nobody has to earn my love, there's also nothing they can do to eliminate the love because the love is interest in seeing everyone be well and be peaceful. And then whatever people do is up to them. Now, who I choose to be in close proximity with is based on people being polite or kind or friendly. These aren't conditions of love. Someone can be angry and hostile with me, and I still love them. I'm still interested in seeing them be well and seeing them be peaceful. I still love them, but out of discernment, wise decision-making, if someone's angry and hostile and vindictive and coming at me and attacking me constantly, I'm going to choose not to be around them. But in doing so, I'm not blocking them out of my life. I'm just choosing that it's not wise to be with this person with all this vented anger, right? So you can actually love people. When you understand what true love is, is you can actually love people even when they're angry and hostile towards you. This taps into loving kindness and compassion that we were talking about last week. Because remember, loving kindness is active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. Not judging people, looking down on them or looking up to them, but having this active goodwill where you have this genuine interest in all beings being well. That's loving kindness. And then compassion is concern for others' misfortune. So if somebody is polite, kind, friendly, and respectful with me, sure, I love them. Sure, it's nice to spend time with them. Sure, I make decisions to spend time with them if they like. If someone's angry, hostile, aggressive, sure, I still love them. I still have a genuine interest in this person being well. I have a genuine interest in seeing them be peaceful. I have active goodwill towards this person. I'm not judging them. I'm not looking down at them or looking up to them. I have concern for their misfortune. They're angry, they're hostile, they're aggressive. Their mind is uncontrollable. They have this craving anger and ignorance or unknowing of true reality. They have this self and this ego that's lashing out towards me. But I still love them, right? And they probably don't even know what love is. They can't even feel the love. And that's okay. I don't need them to feel the love. But inside the mind that I have, I know that I love this person. So there's nothing that I'm interested in doing to harm this individual. This comes back to the Eightfold Path of right intention and right speech and these other teachings is practicing do no harm, right? So if you love all beings, you have this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well and be peaceful, then you're not interested in harming others. 
And even when people are trying to harm you, they may not see that. They're not intentionally trying to harm you. They're just being angry and hostile and aggressive and disrespectful. Their mind isn't even controlled. They don't realize the harm that they're causing themselves. They're causing themselves this harm. So I can love this person even though they're being angry and hostile in the world. So let me pause here before we go on any further and see what questions you guys have, either about the two noble truths that we talked about, the second and third one, the misunderstanding of attachment as love, and then also making sure that you understand what is true love before we go on any further. Hi, David. Yeah, so I understand that all the problems that may arise in relationships come from this expectation, our wanting for things to be a certain way. And yet someone hearing that for the first time might query and say, but aren't some expectations in a relationship okay or even helpful? For example, what if we expect that our partner will do some of the childcare? or some of the cleaning or some of the uh, making money. Uh, if we have no expectations, then what if our partner does nothing? It's important that we understand the language that we're using. If I say I expect my partner to take care of childcare, then now I'm burdening them with this aspect of life. And they may or may not be able to fulfill that because of impermanence, things change. So if I burden this person with this expectation, then I'm only setting myself up for failure because they're not going to always be able to meet that expectation. So therefore, I'm causing my own discontentedness. What you need to move to is that you have an interest in your partner taking care and doing childcare, and that you would like to have a discussion with them and see if they can agree to participating in the childcare with full understanding, whatever you guys agree to, it's going to need to change. It's going to need to change because what happens is you have this discussion with your partner, you both agree, everybody feels great, and the unenlightened mind walks away thinking that agreement's going to be in place forever because the mind craves permanence. But what really needs to happen in that relationship is that conversation needs to be revisited over multiple occasions because as impermanence happens, sickness, aging, job changes, other people in the family need their help and you need to go off and do different things with other people. This whole conversation of childcare and the agreement that you made six months ago or two years ago, it needs to be revisited. So if you have this expectation where you lock in this permanent expectation, that's not going to be able to be fulfilled and you're burdening your partner with that. So what you need to do is you need to have an interest to come together, support each other as partners, and then understand whatever decisions and conversations you guys are having, are they're going to need to be revisited throughout your life in order to ensure that you guys are able to meet the needs of the household. So rather than think like, I expect my partner to be polite, I expect my partner to be friendly, I expect my partner to be kind. I expect my partner to be respectful, right? This is like, I expect, I expect, right? Instead, I'm interested in my partner being polite. I'm interested in them being kind, friendly, 
respectful. And where I see situations that they're not, then I let them know politely and kindly. But still, their impoliteness, their unfriendliness, their unkindness and their disrespect isn't going to cause my mind to be discontent because that's their practice. If my wife chooses to be angry with me, she's causing her own anger. And her being angry at me doesn't affect me. I didn't do anything to cause that anger. It's her anger and she's choosing to be angry with me. So I don't need to be angry back. The best thing I can do is be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy and just smile and say, why are you causing yourself to be angry? Or just be quiet and say nothing, right? There's multiple ways of handling a problem when a partner's being angry with you. There's lots of different ways, but the wrong thing to do would be to get angry back. That's not going to solve the problem. But you need to move in that direction of enlightenment where you can maintain your composure and practice equanimity, this calmness, this evenness of temper, especially in difficult situations when a partner is being angry at you. If you've got craving, desire, attachment, if you've got certain expectations that you think your partner should never be angry with you, then as soon as they're angry, you're going to cause yourself discontentedness. So you've got to eliminate the expectations of not just childcare, but you've got to eliminate all the expectations you have of your partner. Sure, it's important that there's support and each other helps each other in the relationship. Sure, it's important that there's kind of like these foundational aspects of the relationship, politeness, kindness, friendliness, respect. These kind of things need to be present in the relationship. But you have to look at these things as we're going to work on these together and we're going to support and encourage each other along this path. But if you expect it, you demand it, you have to have it at all costs, then as soon as you don't get that, the mind's going to be discontent. As soon as the mind wants childcare and you've got plans to go do something else and that partner isn't willing to take care of the child, your mind's going to be discontent. So you've got to have some fluctuations and be able to adjust yourself to each other's needs in the relationship. Thanks, David. We have a similar question for Rhonda. She says, this all makes great sense. The challenge for me and perhaps others is that good or bad, we have for centuries defined expectations on a variety of relationships. The parent is expected to care for the child. The life partner or spouse, we expect each party contributes financially, emotionally, etc. When these expectations are not met, we grow weary and unhappy in the relationship. How do we separate these long ingrained expectations associated with feelings from true love? Okay, let's make sure we understand expectation. Expectation is the same definition of this mental longing with a strong eagerness. I have this longing and strong eagerness for my partner to contribute money to this family. And if they don't do that, they're not meeting my conditions and I don't love them anymore because they're not contributing money to the relationship, right? Expectation is that same definition of craving, desire, attachment, mental longing with a strong eagerness. You don't want that. 
You don't want this mental longing and strong eagerness, this expectation in the relationship, because if you do, it's going to cause discontentedness. Instead, you need certain things in a relationship. You need your partner to contribute. But you have to understand that they may not always be able to, right? You have to look at wants versus needs, expectations, wants, this craving, desire, attachment, wants and expectations, this mental longing with a strong eagerness versus what you need. Well, if your mind expects that your partner's always going to be delivering money into the household, well, in a situation like COVID or some other situations where people lose their job, maybe be out of work for six months or so, the mind's going to be highly discontent during that period because the mind expects it has this mental longing with a strong eagerness for things to be a certain way. And you're going to be discontent and your partner's going to be driving, driving, driving and really nose to the grindstone. And they may actually select a job that isn't the best for them. But just to meet this expectation, they take that job, which is kind of like a downward spiral potentially. What the mind has to get comfortable with is understanding this impermanence that while we need in a relationship for both partners to be able to provide money if possible, and in some relationships, it's just one partner who's making the money and the other one's not, we would like a certain agreement that we have in life in terms of child care and terms of taking care of the house and the transportation and the children and the food and all the different things that go on in a household, there needs to be a certain support and kind of agreement with the various members in the household. But the problem is, is that the mind of individuals latch onto this and expect it to remain permanent. And when things start shifting and changing, that's when the discontentedness occurs. So Get away from this mental longing and strong eagerness, this expectation, and just understand what this household needs is it needs food, water, shelter, clothing, and medical supplies. And how we come together as a household and provide that is going to shift and change over time. There's going to be times where people are out of work and people are working. And you've just got to be able to ebb and flow with that impermanence because if the mind craves permanence and that everyone's going to be permanently employed, then you're going to cause yourself discontentedness at some point. So you've got to separate your wants and your expectations, which that's going to lead to discontentedness and just look at your needs and make sure your needs are fulfilled. And that can allow the mind to not have this longing and strong eagerness. You got to knock that down and just look at, well, what do we need? Because if someone's out of work for six months and you're expecting them to deliver money to the household, then you're going to fall out of love with them. But it's not love. That's craving, desire, attachment. That's the expectation. Now they're out of work. I don't love them anymore. It's been six months since they've worked. I don't love them anymore. Right? You fall out of love with them because they're not making money. They're not meeting your desire. They're not meeting your expectation. Whereas if you guys work together as a couple and you figure out, well, what do we need in this situation? Okay, you're injured 
or okay, you need to go back to school and change careers, or your job has furloughed you for the next three months while COVID is getting underway, or you've had to take a reduction in your salary in order to allow your company to keep its head above water for the next six months or a year, and then maybe you go back to full salary. But don't allow that to lose your love. You still have a genuine interest in seeing this other person be well, and you still have a genuine interest in seeing them be peaceful. It's just that the things that you guys once knew to be true in terms of your income and other things that are part of this coming together as a couple have now shifted and changed because of impermanence. But don't allow that impermanence and that shift and change in something like an income to now feel like your expectations aren't getting met. You've got to get rid of those expectations to begin with and just know that whatever income you guys are making or whatever parameters that exist in your relationship currently, they're not going to stay that way forever. This is one of the reasons why a lot of couples break up because you meet together as boyfriend, girlfriend, everyone maybe is young or looking hot and sexy and getting together. And then you become husband and wife. And now you spend time together and things are going really well. And then kids come along and you're getting older and bodies start changing and get a little bit of fat here and a little bit of fat there. Well, if the mind is craving permanence and youthful appearance and the mind is longing for this youthful appearance, then the mind's going to be discontent as the body ages and people oftentimes separate and divorce or in their relationship because of that. Or if the relationship longs and has this strong eagerness for this period of time where you were dating and things were just free flowing and you could do everything and anything you wanted, staying up late, going here, going there. Well, now when you move from boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, mommy, daddy, and now all of a sudden you're changing diapers, you're up at different hours of night, she's up at 2 a.m., you're trying to get some sleep, the kid's crying, you're trying to put things together in terms of income and support. You're no longer experiencing those pleasant feelings of dating anymore. Now the relationship feels really tough because the mind is longing and having this strong eagerness for these pleasant feelings of dating. And now because of that change in the relationship, those impermanence, either appearance or activities have changed or now kids have come along and it's no longer the same feeling, people oftentimes say we've fallen out of love with each other. But what's really happened is the mind wasn't comfortable with impermanence. The mind didn't recognize this impermanent nature of the relationship changing and evolving. And now because we find ourselves in a different situation than we were when we were dating, if the mind is longing for those pleasant feelings of the past, and not recognizing the present moment, that's not where we're at. Where we're at is we chose to get married. We chose to have a kid. We chose to now be changing diapers at 3 a.m. in the morning and there's, you know, feces all over the bathroom because the kid's, you know, screaming and yelling and upset and hungry. And yeah, we have to clean that up. And 
if the mind is having that longing for the past, not recognizing the impermanence and all these decisions that we made to get here, people can oftentimes arrive to that place and now say, I've fallen out of love with you. I'm done. I can't take this anymore. But in reality, it was the choices in the relationship that led to that. But if there is expectation that things are going to remain the same all the time, this mental longing, strong eagerness, then people are going to find themselves very discontent and struggling in their relationships as things progress because the mind's latching on and holding on to one thing or another. It might be income. It might be physical appearance. It might be certain activities that you used to do in the past that you no longer do. So the mind isn't recognizing the present moment and being peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy in the present moment. It's longing for these feelings of the past. And oftentimes when you first get involved in a relationship, the mind is longing for the future, right? When you first start dating, oh, I just hope this person marries me. I hope this person takes me out on lots of dates. I hope this person gives me gifts. I hope this person is the one. I hope this is the one that I'm going to be with long term, right? So the mind oftentimes is longing for the future when you first get together. And then after you're together for a few years and you're past all that pleasant feelings, now the mind's longing for the past and it's making itself discontent. It's never experiencing the present moment and understanding this impermanent nature of the relationship. And both minds are just becoming more and more discontent rather than residing in the present moment and just being peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, just satisfied with what is. So then in practicing these teachings well, doesn't necessarily mean we should be with someone or we should be single. What it means is that we practice non-attachment, not having expectations of our partner and practicing active goodwill and an interest in their well-being, their peace and, and contentedness. Uh, with that said, how can we view divorce through these teachings? Okay. Does someone need to get married to only one person and never get a divorce if they are to ultimately practice these teachings and attain enlightenment? Okay, great question, Max. So let's expand on something you were saying first, and then let's get into the divorce question. So some people will tell you, if you have a significant other, if you have a life partner, or if you have children, that is an attachment and you can't attain enlightenment. This is a myth. This is not true. This is why people think that you need to go off and be a monk and kind of let go of everything in your life, your family and your loved ones, in order to attain enlightenment. This isn't true. That's what the Buddha did, is he went off, he left his family in the royal palace, went off into homelessness, and then became this roaming aesthetic monk. But his son and his wife and other family members actually joined and became members of his community, of his sangha, and they actually attained enlightenment during his lifetime. So he never actually got rid of his family. He just left for a period of time and came back. So you don't have to eliminate the relationships in your life. You don't actually have to eliminate your life partners. You don't have to give up your children. You don't have to avoid not having children. You can have life partners, boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, wives, whatever you choose to do. You can even have children 
and still attain enlightenment. It's not the fact that you have these relationships that is causing the discontentedness. It's how the mind is relating to these relationships. It's because there's craving, desire, attachment, these wants and expectations, this longing with a strong eagerness that is causing the discontentedness in the relationships. That's what needs to be eliminated is the mental longing with a strong eagerness, the placing expectations and wanting people in your relationships to do certain things for you in order for you to be happy and for you to be excited and for you to be elated. You're having this external searching for satisfaction, this craving, desire, attachment, this wants and expectations. You're wanting them to fulfill these pleasures of the mind that the mind seeks and looks for. So you're wanting your parents or your children or your life partners to fulfill these desires in your mind. And because nobody can fulfill everything in your mind, because you're the only one that knows what's in your mind, nobody else in the world knows what's in your mind. It's impossible for anybody to fulfill everything that's in your mind. Even you can't fulfill everything that's in your mind. So how could somebody else do it? But what happens is the unenlightened mind burdens other people with fulfilling your expectations. So you don't need to eliminate the relationships. What you need to eliminate is how the mind longs and has this strong eagerness, these wants and expectations in the relationship and allow everyone to do whatever they feel peaceful with. Just have a genuine wish for others to be well and be peaceful. So if anyone tells you that if you have a life partner, a husband, a wife, a child, what have you, that you can't attain enlightenment, this isn't true. An enlightened mind can actually have deep, 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 deep love more so than an unenlightened mind. Because an unenlightened mind is going to misunderstand love as craving, desire, attachment, wants, and expectations. And that person is going to have a lot of discontentedness and struggle in their relationships. That person is going to find relationships very, very challenging as long as you define love in that way, which isn't really love. It's conditional love, which isn't true love. It's conditioned. As long as you meet these conditions, I will say I love you. If you Stop meeting these conditions. I no longer love you. That's not real love. What an enlightened mind is going to do is going to practice true love or unconditional love where you'd want nothing from the person. You have no expectations of them. You're just interested in seeing them be well and be peaceful, which includes allowing them to make their own decisions in their life and not placing your expectations on them. So an enlightened mind will actually be able to love much deeper and much better than any other being because they understand what true love is. They know how to give love and they know how to receive love. They know how to identify what is true love. One of the reasons why you haven't experienced true love before is because you just haven't known what true love is. You might have experienced craving, desire, attachment. And when the relationship was over, you were sad and angry or lonely and you thought you loved that person and then eventually you got over the 
anger and the loneliness, and you said, okay, I'm over that person now. But what has happened is you eliminated the craving, desire, attachment for this relationship to be permanent. It wasn't actually love that was causing that sadness or causing that happiness and excitement. It was craving, desire, attachment. The love that's there inside of all of you is that you have a genuine interest for others to be well and be peaceful. You all have that. Everyone in the world has that to some degree. But this craving, desire, attachment is polluting it and burdening that true love and pushing it down where what you're projecting into the world is this craving, desire, attachment, wants and expectations of wanting things to be a certain way. So that true love is getting pushed down and pushed aside. And what people are experiencing is this longing and strong eagerness that's causing the discontentedness. So what these teachings are doing through the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, the meditation, practicing generosity, is getting rid of that craving, desire, attachment, wants, and expectations, training you how to get rid of that. So now this true love can shine through where you're only interested in seeing others be well and be peaceful. And when you practice that, now in all your relationships, they're going to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And you're going to enjoy these relationships so much more because you're practicing true love. And when you see other people are practicing true love, you'll be able to identify that. And you'll be able to see it because you know what true love is and you're practicing true love. So you'll be able to identify it in others. And when people aren't practicing true love, when they're putting their expectations on you, You'll see that for what that is, and you won't allow that to happen. You won't inherit their expectations. You'll have a way of just moving that to the side. So by you learning and practicing true love, you will have much more fulfilling relationships, whether it's life partners, children, parents, siblings, coworkers, anybody in your life. You can love everybody and anybody. So that's that part. Okay. To Max's question about divorce, say marriage is essentially a government contract that's saying, I'm going to notify the government that I'm married. And there's oftentimes a, some type of legal document that notifies the government that you're married. And then there's some kind of ceremony that kind of acknowledges to all your friends and family, hey, I'm going to really try to work at having a deep relationship with this person. And I'm going to try to be with this person for potentially the rest of my life. And we're going to support each other and encourage each other through this life together. That's kind of the way marriage happens today. There's a certain government process. And then there's a ceremony that we have in order to acknowledge this commitment of let's encourage and support each other through our life. And we acknowledge this through some kind of event with our friends and family, right? Well, oftentimes we make those decisions based on craving, desire, attachment. And we misunderstand what is true love and we get into these relationships for however long and the people are not on the path and they don't understand true love, the relationship gets discontent and we decide to divorce. And that's essentially an acknowledgement of 
we can't continue in the relationship together. We need to walk our separate ways because these two people don't have what they need in terms of wisdom in order to operate in this relationship and have it be peaceful and calm for both people. So we decide to leave and we divorce or we end our relationship. There's nothing wrong with that. Having an end to a relationship isn't going to inhibit you from attaining enlightenment. But the reason why you're ending that relationship is because you're experiencing discontentedness and you don't understand how to love without attachment. You don't understand true love. So the problem in that relationship isn't the other person necessarily. The problem is, is that both of y'all's minds are individually causing your own individual mind to be discontent. I divorced my first wife. I really wanted certain things in the relationship. That was before I was learning and practicing these teachings. I wanted certain things in the relationship and I wasn't getting those things. And she wanted certain things in the relationship and she was getting a lot of them, but there were some things she wasn't getting. And at a certain point we decided to divorce. And what I realized is that I made a decision that wasn't the best decision at the time to marry this person and get involved. I thought I was making the best decision, but I wasn't prepared to have this relationship and she wasn't either. We did our very best and then we ended it and we moved on. And then I met my current wife and we together encouraged and supported each other, worked out these teachings. And now we have a very peaceful relationship where we know that we're going to be together for the rest of our life. And when I look at my ex-wife, it looks like she's found a wonderful relationship too, because in that relationship we experienced together, I learned a lot about myself and I'm sure she learned a lot about herself and we made different choices in our next set of partners. And therefore, it's produced better results because we had more wisdom as a result of that relationship we spent together. So I don't regret the relationship that I had with my previous wife because it taught me a lot. But I just knew that it wasn't the right relationship for me at that time. But divorce by itself isn't going to inhibit you from attaining enlightenment because divorce is just a decision to no longer have a relationship with this person. But the fact that you don't understand true love because this relationship has become discontent and you're choosing to end the relationship, that means that you still have craving, desire, attachment. You don't understand true love yet. That will inhibit you from attaining enlightenment. But the divorce itself isn't going to inhibit you. So if you've had a divorce in the past, you can still attain enlightenment. Or if you are currently in a relationship that you're considering ending, you can end that relationship if you choose and you can still attain enlightenment. Or if you're single and you're deciding to not be involved in a relationship for the rest of your life, that's fine too. Whether you're in a relationship or not, 
isn't the aspect which is going to determine whether you attain enlightenment. It's all about the wisdom that you acquire and how you eliminate this craving, anger, and ignorance, the self and the ego. If you can eliminate all of that while being in a relationship, which would require you to learn true love, then you can attain enlightenment while in a relationship. But even if you aren't in a relationship and you're going to attain enlightenment, you still need to understand true love because you have parents, you have siblings, you have other people like this. Whereas if you still have craving, desire, attachment, wants and expectations in those relationships and you're not understanding true love, that's going to inhibit you from attaining enlightenment as well. So whether you have a partner or not, whether you've divorced or not, is not an indication of whether you attain enlightenment or not. It's all about eliminating these 10 fetters. Those 10 fetters is what's keeping the mind burdened and bound into the cycle of rebirth and keeping it unenlightened. When you eliminate those 10 fetters, the more you do that, the mind will gradually move closer and closer to enlightenment or this peaceful, calm, serene and content mind with joy. So in understanding true love, we are practicing active goodwill for all beings. And that also means any one particular person is someone we're practicing love for. But that doesn't necessarily mean we should enter a relationship with the first one that comes along and is interested in one with us. So my question is, how might one who is practicing these teachings well apply discernment to who they choose to be in a relationship with? Let's talk about that when we get to life partners. That's one of the things I would okay, like yeah. to talk about today is how to decide for yourself, you know, what would be sure. a good situation for you to be in with a life partner. Okay. Well, thank you, David. It appears we have no more questions at the moment. Okay. So if you're starting to understand true love now, then that's good. If you're not, then that just means you need to spend more time with this chapter. Make sure you read through the chapter a few times. Listen to the talk I did six months ago about this. Re-listen to this talk. Take the quiz. Look at the videos that I have on our YouTube channel. Dive into this topic more and more and more because I tell you this is one of the most challenging because you grow up and you think you know what love is. You may even think that, you know, what David's sharing right now, it, it, you might not truly understand it and you might feel like you truly understand what love is already, right? Who is David to tell you what true love is? Well, what your understanding of love, if love is causing sadness, if love is causing frustration, if love is causing annoyance and boredom and loneliness and aggravation, that's not true love because love doesn't cause those things. It's only craving, desire, attachment, wants, and expectations that causes discontentedness. Love doesn't cause anger. Love doesn't cause sadness. Love doesn't cause loneliness. Love doesn't cause hostility and aggression, right? Love is an interest in seeing all beings be well and peaceful. It's craving, desire, attachment, wants, and expectations that's causing these painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. So you really got to get in touch with what true love is and how to practice that. So go through the other resources, spend some time here today asking more questions, 
spend some time with me privately in private discussions or asking questions in our Facebook group to ensure that you understand what true love is because when you truly understand this and you practice it, your world is going to open up in a way that you never understood possible. You're gonna see and experience love in giving love and receiving love in a way that you've never experienced before. And you'll know that you've got it when there's no longer discontentedness in your relationships, okay? So spend some time to make sure you really understand what is true love. One of the ways to do this is to start with yourself. As you know, when I teach loving kindness meditation, it always starts with you, then it goes further and further out in various rings beyond that. So in order to understand true love and love without attachment, love without wants and expectations, you gotta start with yourself. There's a lot of people in the world that don't even love themselves. And the reason why I know this is because I used to be one of those people. I used to not love myself. I used to disparage myself. I used to have a lot of negative self-talk in the mind. And this is detrimental to the mind. This is very hard to go through life not loving yourself. So you've got to get to a point where you're not judging yourself. You don't have all these enormous expectations of yourself. You don't allow others to put expectations on you so that you feel less of a person. If you put expectations on yourself, then you're going to have a tendency to do that to other people. So in order for you to practice true love towards other people, you have to first practice true love for yourself, which means you need to practice not putting expectations on yourself not having wants and desires and this longing and strong eagerness for you to be a certain way, right? This productivity that people are taught, you've got to be productive. You got to do all these things on your to-do list today. And if you don't get these things done, you haven't accomplished what you need to accomplish. Well, every successful CEO reads 52 books a year. That means one book a week. And if you don't do this, you're not a successful business person, right? You have to get eight hours of sleep a day, right? You have to sit at the table and eat dinner with your wife or your children or your partner every single day. You have to kiss and tell everybody how much you love them every day, right? There's like all these expectations and I could keep going. Society puts expectations or attempts to put expectations on all of us about what society thinks we should and shouldn't be doing. Well, if you allow yourself to internalize the expectations of others and you put those expectations on yourself, then surely you're gonna be falling short of that. Because if you believe in your mind that you have to read a book a week, 52 books a year, if you believe that you have to eat dinner with your household every single night in order to be considered a member of this household. If you think that you have to do the homework with your child every single night, or you have to read them a bedtime story every single night, or you have to do any particular thing, you have to exercise, you have to eat certain foods, all of these expectations, you're not going to be able to fulfill them. So you've got to release this yearning, this longing and strong eagerness to do things the way that everyone else wants you to do them. 
and allowing other people to tell you what it means to be a successful person and you trying to constantly live up to that. Because I'll tell you what's going to happen is these expectations of society just keeps moving and moving and moving, right? This whole 52 books a year that all CEOs read, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. That wasn't a thing five or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. That just came out recently. Why? Because people just keep stacking it on and people are going to build these expectations. And typically it's for an incentive of trying to sell some product or motivate you to do a certain thing. Well, don't allow others expectations to make you feel like less of a person because you're not meeting the perfect mom or the perfect dad or the perfect partner, the perfect son, the perfect daughter, the perfect employee. Perfect only exists in people's minds. And what one person thinks of as perfect is different than what somebody else thinks of as perfect. So you've got to make your own decisions in life and love yourself. Get rid of this negative talk that makes you feel like you're less of a person and love yourself and have a genuine interest in your own well-being and your own peacefulness. Well, if you're learning the Buddhist teachings and you understand that this is an independent journey where you get guidance with teachers and you're seeking guidance and understanding and using these resources to learn and progress on this path, then perhaps you're starting to actually love yourself and you're working towards eliminating any negativity in the mind. So don't put expectations on yourself and don't allow others to put expectations on you. You can have goals, objectives, interests, things that you're looking to accomplish in the world. Work on those gradually over time. Continually work towards improving your life and the life of the people around you through goals, objective, and interest. But if you have that longing and strong eagerness to accomplish these things, then the mind's going to be discontent when you don't accomplish them on the time frame that you're expecting because of those expectations. So have goals, objective interests, things that you're pursuing in this life that you would like to accomplish, but do it gradually and realize that it takes time. Eliminate that longing and strong eagerness. And this will show love to yourself. You're not interested in a conceited base love or an egotistical base love or an arrogant love. You're just interested in you being well and you being peaceful. And that's your only interest is attaining this peaceful, calm, serene and content mind with joy. And having that for yourself is utterly important because if you can do that for yourself, then you can start perhaps doing that with other people. The other group that you want to kind of expand out to from yourself is your parents or caregivers. Parents nowadays can be potentially your biological parents. They could be your grandparents. They could be adopted parents. They could be your aunts and uncles and people around you that are helping to take care of you, right? There's lots of different people that fulfill this caregiver role that we have that we need in order to sustain our life. Well, if there's expectations, if there's wants, if there's this craving, desire, attachment, this longing with a strong eagerness 
for your caregivers to be a certain way, then you're going to cause discontentedness in your mind and this relationship is going to struggle and be very difficult. You need to get to a point where not only do you not place expectations on yourself, but you pursue goals and objectives and interests, but you also don't do that for your parents or caregivers. Oftentimes, children, we have in our mind the perfect parent, and we crave and desire this perfect parent. We have this longing and strong eagerness for our parents to be a certain way. And when they're not that way, the mind becomes discontent. We essentially cause ourselves discontentedness. And what you've got to get to is you've got to understand that your parents are struggling through life just like you. Just like you. Unenlightened beings are struggling through this life because they don't yet have the wisdom that they need in order to conduct themselves in a way that their mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So whatever parents you have, whether they're biological or otherwise, these are the people that have chosen to give you care in the world. These are the people that are choosing to help you come up in the world, providing you food, water, clothing, shelter, and medical supplies to sustain your life. And there might be some wisdom as part of that, that they're helping you to grow in the world. But they may not be meeting your wants and expectations. But that's you that's doing that. That's you that's causing the discontentedness because of the expectation. Because of the expectations for your caregivers to be a certain way, and they're not that way, that's why you're causing your mind to be discontent. You've got to get to the place where you recognize and appreciate and value the fact that this person or these people brought you into the world. They provided you some amount of food, water, clothing, shelter, and medical supplies, or else you would not be alive right now. So appreciate and have gratitude for that. And then don't have expectations that they're going to be the perfect parent. Have appreciation and gratitude that you were brought into this world, that you have this life, you have this human life, and now you can start making decisions to improve your life. Maybe your caregivers didn't give you the wisdom that you needed to have a better and better life as you desired, as you craved, as you wanted. You didn't get everything you wanted in those relationships. And that's why you were discontent at various times in the relationship. But they at least gave you the basic supplies to sustain your life. So since they didn't give you the wisdom that you need, that's what you're doing now. You're getting the wisdom yourself. You're choosing now at your current age to seek understanding and wisdom in these teachings to further your knowledge and your ability to function in the world peacefully. But you have to have this appreciation for your caregivers because if you continue to allow yourself to have these wants and expectations, then you're just gonna keep causing yourself discontentedness. So it's you expecting your parents or caregivers to be a certain way that's causing the struggle and the strain. By you working on your own mind and eliminating these expectations, 
you can just love your caregivers for who they are. That's unconditional love. It's just love them for who they are. For whatever they brought into your life, just love them for that unconditionally. Sure, they've said things that you've disagreed with. Sure, they've said things that have been hurtful. Sure, they haven't given you exactly what you wanted all the time. But that doesn't mean they're bad people, right? They might not have had the wisdom to guide you in this world the way that you wanted them to guide you. But they gave you what they could, right? So be appreciative of that. And now you're supplementing that with learning these teachings to improve your life. The Buddha actually gives us teachings about parents. And it's very specific teaching that I would like to share with you guys. He talks in this teaching about how much gratitude we should actually have for parents and caregivers. And he describes it very eloquently. So I think it's only appropriate that I share it with you guys. It's titled, Repaying One's Mother and Father. I'll read the whole thing. Bhikkhus, there are two persons that cannot easily be repaid. What two? One's mother and father. Even if one should carry about one's mother on one shoulder and one's father on the other, and while doing so, should have a lifespan of a hundred years, live for a hundred years, and if one should attend to them by anointing them with balms, by massaging, bathing, and rubbing their limbs, and even void their urine and excrement there, one still would not have done enough for one's parents, nor would one have repaid them. Even if one were to establish one's parents as supreme lords and rulers over this great earth, abounding in the seven treasures, one still would not have done enough for one's parents, nor would one have repaid them. For what reason? Parents are a great help to their children. They bring them up, feed them, and show them the world. But bhikkhus, if when one's parents lack faith, one encourages, settles, and establishes them in faith, if when one's parents are immoral, one encourages, settles, and establishes them in virtuous behavior, if when one's parents are miserly, one encourages, settles, and establishes them in generosity, If, when one's parents are unwise, one encourages, settles, and establishes them in wisdom, in such a way one has done enough for one's parents, repaid them, and done more than enough for them. Let's go through this and talk about it. At the beginning, he talks about the two parents as being two people that are not easily repaid. Even if you should carry them on one shoulder, your mother and your father on the other shoulder, and you live for a hundred years, and they live for a hundred years, and if you should anoint them with bombs, rubbing bombs over their body, massaging them, bathing them, rubbing their limbs, 
even if you clean up their urine and excrement, this still would not have been enough. Essentially, going to all of these great feats in order to take care of them. He goes on further and says, even if you establish them as supreme lords and rulers, essentially like a king or queen, if you make them a ruler over some land, over the great earth with seven treasures, you still haven't done enough for them. Why? Why haven't we done enough? All this stuff, we've carried them, we've massaged them, we've rubbed their limbs, we've voided their excrement and their urine, we've made them supreme lords and rulers over the, all this money and all this treasure. Why isn't that enough? Well, because parents bring us up. They feed us and they show us the world. So they provide that food, water, clothing, shelter, and medical supplies, and they teach us things about the world, right? But not all parents do that, right? Not all parents are capable of doing that. And not everyone has grown up in that way. And that's what the Buddha is saying here in this last paragraph of what to do when one doesn't have parents like that. So when one's parents lack faith, whenever you see faith, you should think confidence. And what the Buddha is referring to here is when someone doesn't have confidence in his teachings, then what you should do is you should encourage, settle, and establish them in confidence of his teachings, right? Because he knew his teachings leads to discontentedness. It's not about him or worshiping him or honoring him. It's about learning and practicing teachings to eliminate the discontent mind. So what he's saying here is when someone lacks confidence in his teachings, when your parents do, then you should find ways to encourage them, settle them and establish confidence in his teachings. And then he says, if your parents are immoral, right? Say they use drugs or they're cheating on each other or they're lying or they're stealing or they're using intoxicants or they're not practicing good moral conduct, then one encourages them, settles them and establishes them in virtuous behavior. Well, what is virtuous behavior? The Eightfold Path. That's virtuous behavior, specifically the moral conduct of right speech, right action and right livelihood but virtuous behavior, right? If one's parents is miserly, what this is is someone who holds on to money and kind of finds joy and delight in accumulating money and it's kind of stingy or selfish. When your parents are this way, establishing them in generosity. We've talked in the past about how important generosity is to train the mind to let go. So if you observe your parents are miserly and holding on really tightly to things, then you know they've got craving, desire, attachment really deeply, and it's causing them a lot of discontentedness, not just because of their money, but their time, effort, and energy. So if they're holding on to things and they're not sharing with other people, then you know that in their mind they're very discontent. So what he's sharing here is encourage them to be generous. And then lastly, he says, if your parents are unwise, when he says unwise, he means unknowing of true reality. When they don't understand the teachings that lead to enlightenment, then you encourage them, settle them and establish them 
in wisdom. And then you've done enough for your parents. So what he's saying here is, in some situations, your parents are going to learn these teachings before you, like my son. He's growing up in an environment where his parents learn these teachings before him, and we're sharing them with him. And what the Buddha is saying is there's nothing that he could do that would repay us enough for all that we're doing for him. Because we bring him up, we feed him, and we show him the world. But if he was growing up in a situation where his parents didn't understand these teachings, but he did, for example, you guys are all finding a way to learn and practice these teachings and gain wisdom that your parents don't have at this point in time. Well, you're not going to be able to force your parents to follow and understand these teachings, and you wouldn't want to because that's ex expectation. That's craving, desire, attachment. That's going to lead to discontentedness because of the longing and strong eagerness if you attempt to force them to learn and practice these teachings. But you know they're suffering. You know they're experiencing discontentedness. So what the Buddha is saying here is encourage them, settle them, and establish them. Essentially, find humble ways, find kind ways, find polite ways to slowly help them gain some wisdom. Because even if they die in this life and they're not enlightened and they need to be reborn into another realm that's not the human realm, maybe into one of the lower realms, eventually they will make it back to the human realm. So if you can just help them with a little bit of wisdom along the way, and because they're your parents, you're going to have to find humble ways to do that because they're not going to probably want to learn with you. If you can just share with them some wisdom that helps them on this journey towards enlightenment, then you've done enough. That's what the Buddha is saying. Then you've done enough for your parents because you've attempted to help them. You've practiced loving kindness and compassion towards your parents, and you've shared some wisdom with them that will help them in this journey in life and potentially their next lives as well. So parents are people that we can't easily repay. Parents are people that have done a lot for us. Even if your parents just gave birth to you and you've never seen them ever in your life since then, well, your parents still had to go through a lot just to give you this human life. And if you can get to a place where you appreciate just the fact that they gave you human life. But what oftentimes happens is children hold resentment and anguish towards their parents for things you feel like they didn't do for you. And as long as you hold this resentment, as long as you hold this anguish in your mind towards your parents, you won't attain enlightenment because you don't have loving kindness for all beings. You don't have compassion for all beings. You're not practicing true love. You still have craving, anger, and ignorance. So no matter what you feel about your parents, no matter what they've done in the past, you've got to put that in the past. It doesn't mean that if they've done things very, very harmful to you, very harmful to you, and your imagination can go with how harmful someone like that could potentially be in your life. There's no need for you to hold on to the resentment and anger, even hatred or ill will towards your parents. 
doesn't mean you need to go around them. It doesn't mean you need to be around them every second. You need to be lovey-lovey with them every second. But you need to at least release in your mind this hatred and anger and frustration, this potential resentment that you might be harboring because they weren't the perfect parent. Okay? You need to just acknowledge that they gave you life. They helped you sustain your life. Food, water, clothing, shelter, and medical supplies. Now, release that resentment. Practice loving kindness and compassion. Even if you never see them ever again in your life, practice true love where you don't have this craving, desire, attachment, wants, and expectations. Because if your mind still yearns and longs for these parents, these perfect parents that you never had, then your mind's going to be discontent and therefore, you're not going to attain enlightenment and you will be reborn back into the world. And you will need to experience more and more discontentedness. So releasing this craving, desire, attachment, wants and expectations for the perfect parents will actually help to liberate your mind because it will no longer be burdened with this longing and strong eagerness. And you can now experience a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy because you're now letting go. You're no longer holding on to this desire for parents to be a certain way. So let me pause here and see if you guys have any questions. We have a question from Amina. Recently, my mother was ill for an extended period of time and I offered to help or do whatever I could. She refused and just wanted to rest. She did not want to see a doctor. At first, I was attached to the idea, and then I thought, this is her life, and out of love and respect, I have to follow her wishes. So I did. Now she is on the mend, but it could have gone the other way. Did I do the right thing? Was that true love? Yes, Amina, that is true love. There at the beginning, it sounds like you had a little bit of craving still, a little bit of attachment where you wanted things to be a certain way, but it sounds like you recognized it, backed off of that, and just acknowledged and allowed your mom to make her own decisions. That's true love. Now, if that situation would have turned bad, and let's just say she would have died, well, that was her decision. Where oftentimes what happens in that situation is the child feels like if the parent dies, the child's gonna feel bad because you didn't make decisions that forced mom to do certain things and if she dies, you're going to feel guilty and shameful about that. But that's actually the craving, desire, attachment for things to be a certain way that's causing that guilt and shame. So if you understand gamma and that everybody's got to make their own decisions and what gamma is, is the result of your own decisions, you can feel comfortable backing off in a situation like that. You can suggest, you can encourage you can say to mom, hey, I think you should go see a doctor. She's like, nope, I don't need to see a doctor. Okay, that's fine. That's mom's decision. Now, luckily things turned out well, but in that situation, let's just say she died. You've got to have enough understanding and wisdom that you didn't cause that, that you didn't cause her death. She made the decisions. So that's what it means to practice without craving desire or attachment and practice true love. But if the mind still has craving and you allow her to make decisions and she dies, you might feel guilty. I should have just stepped in and done something differently. 
But no, you can't. Everybody's got to make their own decisions because it's their own gamma, their own results, their own decisions. And you have to be comfortable with that. So that was absolutely true love. But I just wanted to give you some more background here in case in a situation where you don't step in and kind of force your mom to make certain decisions and things go bad based on her decisions and not necessarily death, just say something else, then that's her decisions. And that's the result of her decisions. So let's look at this from another situation. Let's say that a child is trying to force mom to do certain things and you do force mom to go to the hospital. And let's say when she goes to the hospital, she gets a certain doctor who isn't very well versed in their field and does a lot of mistakes and you know there's a lot of surgical mistakes that can happen and things like this and say that your decisions forcing your mom to do things a certain way actually causes her death and in that situation the child's going to feel really guilty and really shameful so this is why what we can do with our parents, our loved ones, our children, our life partners, is we can suggest, we can provide guidance, but if they turn it down, then we just say, okay. But at least you provided a suggestion and advice, but allow everybody to make their own decisions exactly like you did with mom. That's perfect, Amina. I have a question. So I understand that our mother and father are not easy to be paid. I also understand that one who has children can certainly go on to attain enlightenment. Does that mean, though, that the decision to have children itself is a wholesome thing, an act of generosity? Or is it a bit more complicated? Does it depend on the intentions and also the speech and actions that a parent might take, uh, say, throughout pregnancy and, and beyond? There's nothing wholesome or unwholesome with having a child. It's just an individual choice. It's like, do I have a car or do I don't have a car, right? It's just an individual choice. There'll be people in the world that will have children and there'll be people that don't have children. The challenge becomes when people are forced into believing that everyone needs to have a child in order to be somehow accomplished or this relationship is successful because we have children, right? There's no requirement to have children. Someone can remain single their whole life, never having a boyfriend, girlfriend at all. And maybe someone doesn't even, isn't even attracted to the opposite sex to be able to have children. So having a child in and of itself isn't a more holy or wholesome or unwholesome decision one way or the other. But if you expect to have children, like I've had coworkers in the past that their parents were putting a lot of pressure on them to have children, or they felt based on society that they were kind of being pressured. It was really their own pressure. They were allowing other people's expectations to cause their discontentedness. So if you hold those expectations and you really want children badly, that's going to cause the mind to be discontent. So if you don't want children, you're not interested in children, you have no aspiration, goal, objective, or interest in having children, then don't have children. If you have a goal to have a child and you know that that's something that you absolutely would like to have before the end of this life, then you should probably go ahead and have children. Because there's two ways to eliminate a craving and desire attachment. One is 
to actually fulfill it, and one is to eliminate the feeling, eliminate that craving, desire, attachment, that mental longing with a strong eagerness. So there's some people in the world that if they never had a child, they would die wanting to have a child. They would have a craving, desire, attachment for wanting to have a child. Therefore, they haven't attained enlightenment and they will be reborn. Versus if you know that you really would like to have a child and you actually have children, that can extinguish that craving by actually having the child. And then we, that's just one less craving, desire, attachment. But now you definitely need to learn how to have true love. You need to now learn how to practice love without attachment in this relationship with your child. But there's also people that might have this yearning, longing, and strong eagerness for, for having a child, never end up in a relationship, never choose to adopt or anything else, but they are going to need to eliminate that strong eagerness, that longing for a child in order to attain enlightenment in this life. Otherwise, their mind is going to constantly be discontent. Every time they see a child, they're going to be, oh, I wish I had a child. They're going to be missing that. Their mind's going to be discontent. It's going to be sad. It's going to um, have maybe anger or frustration or irritation because they don't have a child. So they're never going to be able to attain enlightenment until they actually fulfill the craving by having a child or actually eliminating that craving in the mind through training the mind. Thanks, David. Yes, it seems that you know, whilst close relationships, whether it's with our family or with our life partners, sure, these can be ways for one who isn't actually practicing to become very attached and to crave. We might mistake that as love. But also, close relationships provide sometimes the best way to practice these teachings without actually knowing it. You tend to often see a lot of generosity amongst families. It seems to come naturally. The whole reason uh, we are mostly indebted to our parents is because of their continued sustained generosity that brought us into the world and provided us with food, water, clothing, shelter, medical care. And so it seems that this can work both ways. As we you know, uh, develop in life and maybe go on to have children, it can also serve to move the mind in a very positive way. But if we then actively start practicing these teachings, that's when it can really start to blossom. Yes, you know, having a child for me has taught me an enormous amount of things about life. And I'm looking over, he's actually sleeping on my bed as I'm having this <laughs> the class. Is um, He's taught me an enormous amount of things. And, and, you know, he's taught me in terms of me being a parent and learning how to be a parent. Me observing how you can love a being before you've ever met it, right? Like while he was in the stomach of my wife, I had enormous amounts of love and interest in seeing him be well before ever meeting him, right? He's still inside the stomach in the womb. And that was a, a huge realization for me to, to be able to love another being without ever having met it or talked to it or seen it or know what it looks like um, at all. There's all these lessons in having children that have benefited my life enormously, but that's not for everybody. Not everybody's going to choose to have children. Not everybody can have children. Not everybody biologically is able to have a child. Not everybody is attracted to the opposite sex. So having children isn't for everyone. 
And some people have no interest in having a child ever. And they don't have that craving desire attachment. I had that interest and uh, decided to have a child and my wife was interested. So that's what we did. And it's taught me a lot. But if someone chooses not to have a child, that's completely fine. There's nothing that's going to inhibit you from not having a child uh, from this life. And it's just a matter of how you choose to set up and construct your life and what it is that you would like to get from this life. Great. Thank you, David. So I'd like to jump back now to a question I had earlier relating to life partners. Okay. So my question was that if we're practicing loving kindness for all beings, which means true love for all beings, which means we can love anyone and we can practice love for anyone, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we should jump into a relationship with the first person that is interested in a relationship with us. So how might one who is practicing these teachings well apply discernment to who they choose to be with? So in choosing a life partner, you should look for a life partner that is practicing these teachings and not necessarily the Buddhist teachings, but practicing these teachings. We can call it Buddhism. We can call it Theravada Buddhism if we would like to, but that is just kind of a label. To me, what we're really looking at is we're really looking at these natural laws of existence. People who understand impermanence, people who understand discontentedness, people who understand that they're causing their own discontentedness, they can eliminate it. People who are accepting responsibility for their own feelings and emotions in their actions and understanding that they need to improve their life practice. People who are practicing harmlessness, people who are practicing polite speech, those five factors of well-spoken speech, people who are not causing harm through their bodily actions or their livelihood, people who are working to eliminate unwholesome qualities and arise wholesome qualities, people who are aware of their mind and working on concentration, people who are interested in not killing, not stealing, not having sexual misconduct, not lying, not taking intoxicants, people who are practicing true love, right? These teachings that I'm sharing with you show up in the Buddhist teachings very simply, clearly, directly, concisely, which I think makes them so profound because people can pick these up, they can learn them, and they can ingest them and really soak them into the mind and it can be very profound and really life-changing to learn the Buddhist teachings and actually practice these on a day-to-day basis. However, these types of teachings show up in Jesus Christ teachings, in Hinduism, in Muslim teachings. There's other traditions that will have some amount of these teachings. Now for me, I feel like what I'm sharing with you from the Buddha just hits the nail on the head. And I don't know of anything else out there that is to the point where it's like, okay, you can eliminate discontentedness from the mind entirely permanently. And you can see that now as the mind gradually improves the condition of the mind. I know that the teachings that we have from Jesus Christ don't share that. Although somebody can attain what we call the Holy Spirit and get to something that we call enlightenment, but you wouldn't necessarily see it as a clear, as a path that I think that Gautama Buddha left for us. 
likewise, I think in Hinduism and Muslim teachings and these other teachings in the world, there's ways to get to something similar. But I just have never dived into any of these teachings to the level of depth that I would be able to see exactly how to do that. With the Buddhist teachings, I know exactly how to do that. I know that his teachings lead exactly where he says they do, and I can share with other people how to actually attain that. But if you look at the core of the Buddhist teachings, what he's really teaching, along with what everyone else is teaching as well, is universal love of all beings, do no harm, and be a good moral person. If you can find a partner that's actively working in that direction of universal love for all beings, do no harm, and be a good moral person, they might call what they're practicing one way, they may organize it in their teachings in one way, where you're looking at it through the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Five Precepts, and other things. Someone else might call it the Seven Deadly Sins, or, you know, instead of loving kindness, you know, they might say, yeah, love thy neighbor, right? We call it the natural law of gamma. They call it, you reap what you sow, right? All of these teachings that we have in the Buddhist teachings show up in other traditions as well. So in the book where I say it's wise to pick a partner that's practicing these same teachings, what I didn't say is that doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be Buddhist. If you find a partner that is interested in learning and practicing these exact same teachings that I'm sharing with you today, and they're on board with learning and practicing those, you guys can encourage and support each other along this path to enlightenment, and you will understand each other very, very, very deeply because your mind is training and learning and progressing in this life in the same way. But there's people in other traditions that also are not interested in causing harm to people, that are interested in loving all beings that are interested in having kindness and compassion, that are interested in sympathetic joy and equanimity. If you look at Jesus's teachings in the Bible, you can take all of the Eightfold Path, all of these Brahma Viharas, all the five precepts, and you can find exact places where Jesus taught these exact same things. He didn't have the time because they killed him after one to three years of teaching. He didn't have the time to lay this out in a very clear path the way the Buddha did because the Buddha had 45 years to do it. And once again, he was a fully, perfectly enlightened Buddha. He discovered all of this by himself. Jesus wasn't fully enlightened. That's why he said, I will be back. I'm going to come again. I need to be reborn is essentially what he said because he wasn't enlightened. So he only understood the teachings to a certain level of depth. And he only had one to three years to actually teach before they killed him. And the other people who wrote down his teachings didn't necessarily write them down the way that he actually taught them because they didn't really truly understand them deeply because he only had one to three years to teach where the Buddha was fully, perfectly enlightened. He understood clearly this path to enlightenment and he had 45 years to make sure as many people as possible truly understood that. So he was able to lay out this very clear path. So you can find life partners 
that are also interested in not killing, not stealing, not having sexual misconduct, not lying, not taking intoxicants, all these good wholesome teachings that you know, if people do these things, it's gonna lead to unwholesome results. And therefore you can have a really wonderful relationship with this person. But what you're gonna have to make sure they understand whether they're on this path with the Buddhist teachings to enlightenment or they're in some other tradition is you're going to need to make sure they understand true love. Because if you're in a relationship where they are misunderstanding, craving, desire, attachment as love, and you're practicing true love, you guys aren't going to understand each other at all. Because they're going to have this longing and strong eagerness to be around you. They're going to want certain things from you. If you give them a gift, they're going to be very happy. If you kiss them or tell them you love them or which, which you can do on this path as well but if you don't do those things that person's going to feel lonely or bored or missing you or feel like you don't you don't love them anymore just because you walked in today and you chose not to kiss them and their mind is craving for a kiss every single day because their mind is craving permanence or they're craving an i love you every single day or they're craving a hug every single day. And you're not going to be able to do that every day because of impermanence. Even if you train your mind super well to say this every single day or do this action every single day, there's going to be some point in your life where you don't do it because of impermanence. It's not possible for you to do it every day. And when this other person is viewing craving, desire, attachment, expectations, and these wants as love, and they're putting these expectations on you, and you're not fulfilling it because you know that that's their expectations, and you're not interested in fulfilling their expectations, they're going to become very discontent in their relationship. And therefore, you guys are going to be struggling and pulling in opposite directions. So if you have somebody that you meet on this path or you're with a certain partner now that chooses to learn and practice this path, you guys will be in sync and be able to encourage and support each other all the way through to enlightenment. And as you have kids, you guys practicing these teachings yourself, you will automatically know that this is the truth and you need to share this wisdom with your kids. Or if you're in a same gender relationship, and you adopt kids or you have friends or family or siblings, you guys will be in complete sync with each other in that same sex relationship of what love is, what true love is, and you guys will be practicing that readily day to day in your relationship. So if you have somebody who's on this path in a different tradition that doesn't teach true love or they're in a different tradition like Christianity or Judaism or uh, Muslim teachings or uh, Hinduism or something else and they don't understand true love and they don't understand how they're causing their own discontentedness, this is going to be a struggle for you. So that guidance that the Buddha gave about parents, about if they're unwise, you know, encourage them and try to help them attain wisdom you could also take that same advice for your life partners too. So if you're in a relationship now and your life partner is choosing not to practice these teachings, you don't wanna force it on them, you don't wanna push it on them, but if they're interested, 
it would be really helpful for them to learn these teachings and you guys will find a much more cohesive relationship because you're viewing love in the same way. Whereas if one partner sees their expectations not being fulfilled as you don't love them anymore, that's going to be very difficult in the relationship. And I've talked with students who have been learning on this path for you know 20 years or so and their partner is not on this path and they find it very difficult and they struggle because their husband or wife just doesn't understand them when they would like to go meditate or they don't do things that they expect them to do. They just don't understand it. There's a completely different understanding about this world around them and that just puts strain on the relationship. So just be wise, choose a good partner that's following and practicing these basic teachings that you find in the Four Noble Truths, Eightfold Path, and Five Precepts, even if they're in a different tradition. But if they're willing to learn some of these teachings, especially true love, that's going to be utterly helpful and utterly important for you to have a cohesive relationship where both of you guys are walking in the same direction. That's great. Well, it appears, David, that we have no more questions at this time. Okay. Well, that's everything that I was planning to share with you guys on true love. There's plenty here to really talk about in terms of what is true love, what it looks like in relationships and things like this. I'll give you a little bit of an example here. Let's say my son comes to me and says, Daddy, I would like to go to America and go to college. And let's say he's 18, 20 years old and he's would like to go back to America. If me and his mom said, no, 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 you can't go. Mommy and daddy's going to miss you way too much. You can't go back to America. This is craving desire attachment. This is the mental longing with a strong eagerness to keep him here. And we feel like if he leaves, that we're going to miss him. We're going to be lonely, right? In this situation, if he stays, he's going to be discontent because his mind wants to go to America. And that's his interest. And if he dies, having never done that, then he's going to be reborn, right? So he's going to be discontent if he stays. Well, if he leaves, we're going to be discontent. His parents because we have this craving desire attachment to keep him here. That's why craving desire attachment always leads to discontentedness because two parties can't get the same thing. They can't get their things to be true at the same time. So my son can't leave to go to America and stay here at the same time. And for both parties to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy because there's craving desire attachment there. Mom and dad want one thing. He wants something completely different. This is going to cause discontentness, struggle, and strain in the relationship. This is craving desire attachment, wants, and expectations. In that same scenario, he comes and he asks to go to America. Or not ask, because he doesn't have to ask permission. He just says, hey, dad, I would like to go to America. Okay. That's the answer. Okay. Right? Or if you want to go further with that, do you need help? You don't have to do that, but you can as a parent. Do you need help? 
Should we look for scholarships? Dad doesn't have money to send you to America, but I'd help you if you like help. Or would you like me to take you there and look around? All these things are optional that I'm talking now, but to keep him here or try to force him to stay here, this would be craving desire attachment. This isn't love. Someone might say they love their child and that's why they want them to stay here. I love you too much. You can't leave. That's not love. That's craving desire attachment. That's mental longing with a strong eagerness. If you loved them and you practice true love, which is in there, it's just getting covered up with the craving. The true love is, I just would like to see you be well. I would like you to see, be, see you be peaceful. And in order to do that, the way to, for somebody to be well and be peaceful is for them to be able to make their own choices in their life. For my son to be able to choose what he would like to do in his life. If dad is putting expectations on him or mom is putting expectations on him, now everything's locked. It's like a log jam. He can't move unless he gets permission from mom or dad. And mom or dad are going to be discontent if he does something that we don't agree with, right? But if you understand your role as a parent, as a life partner, as a brother, as a sister, as a child for your parents, it's up to you. You would like to go to the U.S.? Sure, it's up to you. Sometimes my wife says, she calls me Dada, Dada, I need to go to America for a couple of months and work. Okay, enjoy. Do you need anything from me? I just need you to take care of our son while I'm gone. Okay, I can do that, right? But for me to say, what? You're leaving? You can't go. Who's going to take care of us? You're the one that does all this stuff in the house. How can you leave? Right? That's the craving, desire, attachment. But to liberate the mind, you have to let go. You have to let go of the people around you and not try to force them to do one particular thing or another or be a particular way. You have to love them as they are. Just love them as they are. Right? Don't try to change them. Don't try to force change on them. You can encourage, you can suggest, you can give advice, but then if they don't agree with you, okay, up to you, right? Up to you, your decisions. That's true love, okay? So think about this. Think about the relationships that you're currently in. You may not be practicing true love in all your relationships, and that's okay. That's where you're at right now. But look at how you can move this to true love, where you just accept the person as they are. Unconditional love. You love people just because you're interested in seeing them be well and be peaceful. That person who cuts you off in traffic, may you be well. May you be peaceful, right? That person who's screaming and yelling at you because you parked in their parking spot, May you be well, may you be peaceful, right? Whatever goes on, you don't need to have hate and anger towards people, even if they're being impolite, even if they're being disrespectful. You don't have to return hatred and anger. You can actually return love and kindness. May you be well, may you be peaceful. But it's going to take you time to train the mind in that direction, starting with yourself. 
Eliminate any expectations you have of yourself and what you feel like you should. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do that. Eliminate those expectations. That perfect person that you're aspiring to be doesn't exist. Because as soon as you get to where you think you're going to be and you've met that perfect person, your craving desire attachment has increased and now you want to be there. And then it goes some more in there, right? So you've got to just be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, knowing that this is a life journey, knowing that this is a life practice, and you're going to progress and improve your life as you go. Allow yourself to have the freedom to make your own choices. Sure, listen to advice, listen to other people if you choose, but at the end of the day, make your own choice. And know that what the result of that choice, that's your karma, the result of your decisions. But it's your decision. Don't allow other people to make decisions for you. It's always your decision. And therefore, because you're making your own decisions and you don't like it when someone tells you what to do in this world, don't tell other people what to do in the world. Only give them advice if they ask for it. Right? And then if they don't take your advice, that's okay. You, you help. That was your advice. Maybe it works for them. Maybe it doesn't. But your love isn't attached to whether they take your advice or not. Your love isn't attached to what they do or they don't do. You just love them because you love them. You have a genuine interest in seeing them be well and be peaceful. And in this way, you can love everyone in the world. You can love everyone. I know America right now just went through a very difficult election. You can love Donald Trump. You can love Joe Biden. You can love both sides. You might disagree with their speech or their actions or their decisions, but you can love the person, have a genuine interest in seeing this person be well and seeing them be peaceful. And that's why I started off this talk by saying, I love you. Because I have a genuine interest in seeing you be well and you be peaceful. So continue to learn these teachings. The Buddhist teachings are the truth. His wisdom is deep and profound. You will liberate the mind more and more. You will have freedom in these relationships. You won't struggle. You won't experience discontentedness. You will have such joy in your relationships because you're not trying to force people to do things your way. And if people try to do that with you, you see it for what it is and you don't accept it. And you just make your own decisions in your life. So have a really wonderful rest of your day. Enjoy learning and practicing the teachings of the Buddha. On Wednesday, we're going to be doing loving-kindness meditation. And then next Sunday, we're going to be in chapter 15, which is discussing the difficult human existence, sickness, aging, and death. And until then, have a wonderful day. I love you. Tell everyone around you that you love them. And let's make this world a better and better place through having a genuine interest and seeing all beings be well and be peaceful. Thank you so much. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.